there's got to be a well-founded reason why you as an investor would want to have that particular exposure as opposed to just chasing the alpha. So I guess the, the main message here is really being open with your clients, but also trying to confirm for yourself that these clients that we're not taking on board, that they actually know what they're doing and then they know why they're buying into our particular strategy. If you get the feeling that they don't, then you know, you should probably be prepared to see them leaving the minute you start generating negative returns again. Hi, this is Anders Lindell, founder and chairman of IPM in Stockholm, and you're listening to my year-in review on Top Traders Unplugged. Imagine spending an hour with the world's greatest traders. Imagine learning from their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Imagine no more. Welcome to Top Traders Unplugged, the place where you can learn from the best hedge fund managers in the world so you can take your manager due diligence or investment career to the next level. Here's your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup Larsen. Welcome back, Anders, for this review of 2014, where we look at the big events from the point of view of your trading strategy. I want to explore both the ups and the downs, as well as the big takeaway from what can only be described as a great year for systematic trading strategies in general. But as we know, just because you're systematic in your trading doesn't necessarily mean that your strategy deals with market environments in the same way. So let's just jump into it. Tell me about 2014 from your perspective. How did the year evolve from your firm and your strategy's point of view? I think for the, you know, the, the, the first highlight is, is to note that this has been a year when our style of trading has, um, has basically proven what it's all about. Sure. What I mean by saying that is simply that you know, the way we trade is based on current data uh, as presented. We're not trying to make forecasts about the future. We're not trying to follow um, you know, uh, the flow of other traders or anything like that. So, you know, as a, as a sort of a great example to start off with is, is basically to look at our bond positioning where, you know, um, we've been long global bonds uh, and bond markets in general for the most part of the year, sure. and certainly the early parts of the year. Um, e and, and I guess as, as opposed to many other people out there who, who started making forecasts about, uh, you know, what the Fed was going to be doing and what girls going to be doing, things like that, our models uh, just concentrate on looking at the data set as presented. And, and based on that, staying long bonds uh, turned out to be a, a, a very good bet. Sure. And this is, this is one of the sort of hallmarks of, of this type of trading. We, we're not trying to make forecasts. Uh, we're just looking and analyzing the data as, we, as it is presented to us. Um, so that's been one, um, one sort of major um, theme for the year, you know, systematic macro trading, our style has, has proven that it actually works in, in this type of environment, something that uh, a lot of people out there seem to have been questioning a little bit. Another thing that, that we are, you know, continually proud of is, is to note that our trading continues to be uh, strongly diversifying. Uh, you know, if you compare our performance even to other systematic traders sure. out there, be they CTAs or, or, or even, you know, closer to us, um, our performance as generated in 2014 uh, still differs markedly 
you know, in, in the path it has taken, yeah. um, which is, you know, we, we're proud to continue doing that. And, you know, while being by design, uh, it is always good to seeing, um, seeing it confirmed. Sure. No, I did notice actually that you had a very strong first quarter of 2014, which was a very difficult time for, for CTA. So you're, you're absolutely right on that. What were the biggest contributors? I know you mentioned bonds, but, but generally biggest contributors, both on the upside, but also on the downside for the year? Um, taking it by the dimensions we're trading, um, the biggest by far contributor was a relative bond trading, i.e. where we trade, um, you know, 10-year government bond futures uh, against each other okay. in, uh, in you know, dollar neutral or, well, akin to risk neutral fashion. Sure. Um, second contributor, uh, currency trading in developed markets. Um, uh, and then our asset class, which is basically our directional trading uh, in global stocks and global bonds, um, emerging market currencies, and those four are all positive. Uh, the only dimension where our trading generated a negative return for the year was our relative equity trading. Okay. So that's sort of in terms of, of the dimensions. Um, if we should talk about individual positioning, it's a little bit more, it, it requires a little bit more explanation. Um, but certainly the, the biggest contributor year to date has been, um, uh, or 2014, has been our, our positioning in, in Japanese uh, government bonds. Sure. Coming in at a um, uh, close to 9% uh, positive for the year. And the biggest, um, biggest loss for the year, individual instrument wise, uh, would be our uh, treasury trading uh, 10 years, uh, generating a loss of close to well, about 7%. Sure. Sure, sure. Now, um, clearly, the year was a year with some big uh, moves in 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 many markets, um, and I know that when you are systematic, you don't necessarily look at it the way of saying, "Oh, I did really well here, and I did really poorly here," because it's part of the process. But on the other hand, we do look at you know we do look at the rearview mirror and we look at what happened and we look at how we did. So, in in when you do that. Is there anything where you would say, actually, I thought we would have done a little bit better here than we actually did, where, where maybe you, you know, it gave you ideas of, of uh, things that could be maybe fine-tuned or something like that? Um, <clears throat> we rarely do that on an instrument basis. Um, where we could do it and where we certainly do do it is, is from time to time we take a look at uh, what are the underlying themes that we're trading on sure. and how are they fared over during the course of you know any one particular period. Um, and if you use our relative bond uh, trading, which has been the most successful uh, in 2014 as, as an example, um, we'll note that uh, pretty much all of the themes that we're looking at have delivered, um, mm. save for one uh, notable exception, uh, and that is our valuation-based um, uh, ideas. So while we have generated strong returns expressed by uh, or delivered by our risk premium uh, type factors and, and certainly macro factors and other things, valuation has persistently underperformed uh, during the course of 2014. Um, and this is obviously something that we're going to have to take a closer look at and uh, something that you know we, we are looking at and evaluating. Bearing in mind, though, that valuation is... Um, 
you know, a very long-term uh, phenomenon. It, it might very well, and it's pretty natural for it to, to actually go against us for, for quite some time, only to mean reverse, um, you know, uh, significantly later. So it's not cause for immediate concern, um, but, you know, notably it has underperformed. So quite clearly uh, we're looking at it and, and, and just trying to verify that this is indeed in line with expectations, uh, statistically speaking. Sure. I mean, you mentioned the word theme, and I just want to pick up on that. Uh, now, clearly, 2014 will be probably remembered for certain themes, uh, if we look at it from sort of a world point of view, uh, Ukraine as a theme, uh, and, and Russia's involvement in that, um, oil as a theme. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't. I know that you don't trade those themes, but how... How do you view your strategy's reaction to those themes? Were, were, were they important for your result, do you think? Or were they just there as part of a normal way of dealing with world events? Um, it's a hard one to answer. I mean, obviously, anything relating to what happens over in Russia and neighboring countries um, has impacted people's um, uh, willingness to take risk in general. Mm-hmm. And it certainly has contributed to, to, you know, to at least some extent to, to um, uh, volatility in markets. Um, and from that perspective, um, you know, we, we're probably pretty happy. We're obviously not happy that, that Russia has done whatever it's done over in, in Ukraine and, sure. and, and Crimea and other countries. Um, but increasing market volatility and, and sort of a decoupling between markets is, um, you know, a, a central theme, if you like, for us. Because the way we trade, um, I, I wouldn't say we're 100% dependent, uh, but we're certainly trading better when uh, you know cross market volatilities uh, or market dispersion if you like is is more pronounced um, than than it is otherwise so anything that contributes to a more normal volatility pattern ac- across markets is is beneficial to us uh, do you trade the russian ruble uh, we do trade the russian ruble How we, that? you know uh, that we got the, that, that one entirely wrong okay. um, Obviously, our models didn't quite see <laughs> neither the Ukraine thing nor the Crimea thing nor the impact of of um, um, of um, uh, sanctions and, sure. and, and other things. And certainly, it it had no clue whatsoever um, about the the oil price impact on the Russian economy. But so we got that one completely wrong. Actually. Sure, but actually, on the Russian ruble. Um what about market access? We don't talk much about this, but but I certainly uh, understand from other managers who had exposure to the Russian ruble that suddenly it became very difficult to trade, not let alone get it right, but actually physically execute trades in rubles. Uh, did you see any of that? Uh, we we managed to trade it, all yeah. right, but but quite obviously, um, you know, given what has transpired, uh, liquidity has has gotten worse. There's no doubt about that. But but we managed to trade it uh, without any any significant problems. Um, but I think you, you should probably put that in 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 um, in um, sort of a holding period perspective. Where uh, many people, certainly, you know, more high-frequency CTAs are, are entirely dependent on, upon being able to getting in and out yeah. uh, in positions on on sort of a weekly or in some cases probably even daily basis or even high frequencies and that. Whereas our holding periods are, are, are so much longer that 
the impact of, um, of, of constrained liquidity is uh, much, much less. Sure. In terms of uh, sort of generally for the year uh, and in terms of uh, you and, and, and your firm, uh, were there any sort of highlights? It could be new products, could be changes to sort of key personnel or, or, or some research findings that you want to, to highlight? On all of those areas, much like in in, in our trading, uh, we're, we're sort of moving at a very very slow pace. <laughs> we're moving very gradually. I guess the only uh, the only main uh, thing I'd, I'd I'd probably mention is sort of an organizational change where where I stepped up from from being the the sort of president and CEO to to becoming chairman uh, mid year. Sure. Um, otherwise, organization-wise, I wouldn't say that there are any any, any significant changes. Um, on the research side, um, it's probably better to get back to that sometime later in 2015. That there are a couple of things um, that we have on 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 the um, um, on the agenda to to start introducing um, during during um, you know early 2015. So that that's probably more. Um, more relevant slightly later. Let's, let's, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, you obviously had a, a very solid year performance-wise, and, and that comes, comes on top of having very solid returns in general. So so maybe this is not so applicable to, to, to you as a firm, but maybe more from the viewpoint that the industry had a better year than, than for a while. How did the conversations that you had with investors or potential investors, did that change over the year? Did people start looking at you or the, the space as a whole in a different light? I, I think we can observe you know, a couple of things or, or note a couple of things about 2014 from, from sort of a client perspective. Uh, the first thing is that I, I do believe that many Institutional investors out there um, have started looking at hedge funds uh, with a more sort of positive view on, on on the space as a whole during the course of the year, and, and a slightly higher appetite for taking risk uh, uh, by way of, of investing in hedge funds. Um, I guess the main change uh, in in attitude there would probably come from from the European arena, whereas North Americans um, have been more consistent in in, in in looking at hedge funds um, over the past few years. But certainly there's been a little bit of a shift in, in, in a positive direction, uh, the way people are looking at hedge funds in general. The other main trend is, um, I guess, unfortunately for, for our space, is, is you know a continuation of, shall we say, some degree of skepticism uh, towards... Um, systematic macro space in general, um, probably with a tilt towards um, CTAs, mm -hmm. where, you know, you saw the CTA allocations between 2008 and probably peaked in, in, in 13 or so. It, it ballooned from less than 100 billion to well north of 400 in just a few years. And I guess people started reevaluating re that um, in 2013, and the space has seen outflows, I guess, ever since. And that has certainly continued in 2014. Um, and while that has been centered more um, on, on pure CTAs uh, rather than systematic sure. uh, macros like ourselves, um, it obviously affects people's um, view on the space as such. Mm. So. 
both positives and negatives. Uh, more people looking at hedge funds in general and a slightly higher risk appetite for uh, for hedge funds, countered to some extent by you know continued skepticism towards um, systematic traders. Sure, sure. Very interesting. Now, <clears throat> you trade the globe, so to speak, in your global macro approach. And I wanted to bring up something that I noticed a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Muhammad Al-Aryan, ex-PIMCO, um, who many people uh, listen to, um, and, and for good reason, of course, uh, he said something that I thought was quite interesting. He said, if I have to sum up the world in one word, it would be divergence. And you and I know that many hedge fund strategies don't necessarily thrive in a divergent environment um, and because they actually probably do much better in, in, in convergent uh, times. Um, when you hear something like that, do you observe generally when you look at all the markets and the way you trade, do you, do you observe signs that the world uh, is becoming more divergent? And if so, what impact do you think that makes to the global asset allocations that people should be considering for, for the coming year? I think it's an interesting question, but it, uh, to answer it, one, one has to take a step back and, 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 and sort of look at where we're coming from. We, we are coming from uh, an environment where um, global economic uh, developments have, have been converging uh, and marching um, you know, in, in step increasingly over the past decade, mm -hmm. um, at least, probably for longer, but, but certainly very pronounced over the past decade. So when uh, Mr. Ilarion says, you know, we, we, we've started moving in the other direction of more divergence, um, his words, uh, I think he's probably right. Um, but we, we're starting moving in that direction from a starting point where the world has converged um, over the past 10 years. So. Sure. I think, you know, looking at it in absolute terms is is the world going to, you know, take a few steps back and become um, what it was 10, 15 years ago, hardly likely in the, over the course of the coming couple of years. Um, some degree of divergence um, we started noting already. And again, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, looking at um, um, sort of market development and market dispersion. Uh, I think that's that's generally speaking a good thing for 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 most macro traders. Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily. I, I wouldn't claim to know what what, what actually makes CTAs tick, um, but I, certainly certainly for macro traders, we we actually want you know um, divergent markets in the sense that uh, you know things should move back to to uh, tracking business cycles. And we want markets to be able to trade markets that are, you know, both um, cheap and 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 um, and rich. Yeah. Uh, if all markets are rich at the same time, uh, or you know, be that asset classes wise, or be that country wise, or all markets are cheap at the same time, then um, that doesn't leave a whole lot in terms of our opportunity set. Sure. I mean, you touched upon it already uh, when you talked about, uh, you know, the CTA space, but let's just call it systematic traders in general. Uh, the way we saw a big inflow in 2009 and 10, uh, following a very strong relative performance uh, in 2008. 2014, certainly, uh, relatively speaking, was a, a, a big outperformance from from the same space, even though we did have we didn't have any crises uh, as such. Um so, so my question is, 
How do you think we as managers, how should we approach 2015 to try to avoid the big inflow of money chasing performance uh, only to be potentially redeemed a couple of years later when people realize that they maybe didn't understand exactly what they bought uh, or at least that what they would claim that they didn't understand what they bought. How do we better prepare ourselves, the industry and more importantly maybe our potential investors um, for the next move into this uh, specific space? Um, <clears throat> that is an interesting question. I'm, I'm, I'm sure the way you, you, you pose the question that um, out of the, I don't know, 14,000 hedge funds in total out there globally, um, I'm sure that at least 13,000 out of those uh, find it to be a peculiar question. How do we avoid uh, taking on too much money yeah. only to be having to, to, to give back at some point later? Um, I, I really think it is, you know, at the heart of the matter, it is really um, education uh, or transparency or, you know, alignment, uh, however you want to phrase it. Um, mm. The way the way we see our clients coming on board is, is only after, you know, a very thorough um, evaluation of what we do, what we have generated. Um, but adding to that, we, we also try and make a point out of um, making sure that our clients actually do understand what it is we're doing mm -hmm. and what it is they're buying into, uh, which I guess might be, it might be slightly easier for us because, mm -hmm. you know, if you're saying to an institutional investor that parts of our currency trading is based on, um, you know, relative inflation uh, between two countries. Mm -hmm. That's something they're used to hearing. That's something they, they learned in, um, you know, um, university. Okay. Uh, their economists would talk about things. So when we, we have the advantage, I guess, of being able to frame our trading um, based on, on, on relatively um, relatively understandable concepts. Whereas if you're a more pure, I guess, CTA then, um, it'll be a slight, slight, it'll be slightly harder. But I think your task then, much as our our, our sort of side task, is is really to highlight why is it you're buying into this. Mm -hmm. You're buying into a systematic macro manager because you seek the diversification benefit. Obviously, you want the absolute return, but also you, you need something that has a coupling to your underlying portfolio. And I guess the same holds true really if you're a CTA there's got to be a, a, a well-funded reason uh, why you as an investor would want to have that particular exposure as opposed to just chasing the alpha mm. so I guess the, the main message here is really um, you know be, being open with your clients but also uh, trying to confirm for yourself that, that these clients that we're not taking on board that they actually know what they're doing and that they, they they know why they're buying into our particular strategy if you get the feeling that they don't then you know you should probably be, be prepared to see them leaving um, the minute you start generating negative returns again yeah no absolutely I've actually only got uh, one question left for this short episode, but before we go there, is there anything that you want now that we're heading into 2015? Anything you want to bring up, uh, you know, just for people to consider maybe for the new year or anything that you feel strongly about? 
there's probably a whole lot of things I, 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 I feel strongly about. I, I guess... Uh, Could be a theme that you've talked about internally for the last couple of months since we last spoke that, that yeah. you think is important. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I guess I guess theme-wise, I mean, what, what I guess everyone wants and what certainly we want is, want is a normalization uh, in the sense that uh, it would be a very good thing to see central banks uh, start normalizing their behavior. Mm. Um, how and when, but the sooner the better. It, it is inherently a bad thing to have the price of money uh, sitting at about zero for an extended period of time. Uh, all sorts of unintended consequences could and probably will uh, come out of that. So that, that would be one of the most um, important contributions to normalization of the market and, and um, I would actually say risk reduction. Because this type of, of uh, pricing of money uh, certainly increases rather than decreases risks. Yeah. Over and above that, just a quick note. I guess everyone feels the same, but um, you know, given the last week's events down in in, in France, um, Germany, uh, other countries. Um, it would be a great thing to start uh, seeing, in particular, European politicians actually taking um, taking matters of immigration, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, for real, and actually start addressing it um, uh, in a in a much more sensible way than than it, uh, what it has been done so far. Sure, sure. You kind of probably answered my last question, which is usually nothing to do with anything about trading or, or, or anything like that. And, and what I've asked all my other guests uh, is really just if they could make one wish for the new year, what would it be? I don't know whether you would say it's the same things you just brought up or if there's something else that you think would be nice to happen in, in 2015. <laughs> Um, I, I guess you're, you're, you're spot on, really. I, I think, um, you know, one could always hope for central bank normalization. Uh, and, and we know that those are sort of bureaucrats and, um, you know, eventually they, they will come to that. Uh, I would guess I'd put the um, European politics as, um, as it relates to, shall we call them, extremist parties sure. and movements and immigration policies and, and, and tensions in society in general. And we can we can note that um, even in Sweden we have um, gotten our small but still fair yeah. share of that with, um, and, you know, really European politicians taking this for real and actually start having a, a, a sensible debate uh, around those topics um, to try and actually get people um, more, I guess, sensibly sure. in a way again. Absolutely. Well, on that note, Anas, unfortunately, our time is 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 running out uh, for this short episode anyway. Uh, but of course, for those who want to hear more from you, uh, they can always go back and listen to our previous conversation of Top Traders Unplugged. But I do want to thank you for being on the podcast today, for sharing your insights. I want to congratulate you and your firm for a very solid year. And I want to wish you and everyone around you the best for the coming year and look forward to catching up later in 2015. Thank you very much, Nils. And uh, I wish you and certainly our listeners the same. Thank you. All the best. Take care, Anas. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to Top Traders Unplugged. If you feel you learned something of value from today's episode, the best way to stay updated is to go on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show so that you'll be sure to get all the new episodes as they're released. 
We have some amazing guests lined up for you. And to ensure our show continues to grow, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. It only takes a minute, and it's the best way to show us you love the podcast. We'll see you next time on Top Traders Unplugged.